Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you looking to take your media strategy to the next level and make impact with millions of customers? Walmart Connect harnesses the massive reach of America's number one retailer. They can help you connect more meaningfully with Walmart's 139 million weekly online and in-store customers to find the right audience for your message. They use Walmart's proprietary customer purchase data to help you precisely target even niche audiences at scale. Visit walmartconnect.com today to see how they can help you find the customers you want at the scale you need. Hey, I'm sure by now you're aware of programmatic ad tech, but what is it exactly? Programmatic advertising, in some ways, is really anytime you're using software and data to make your media buying decisions. We see it in display ads, in CTV, programmatic digital out of home, and of course, audio. And new ad technologies are coming out every day. Actually, what you're hearing right now is a type of programmatic ad, or at least a hybrid. It's not programmatic in the sense that a piece of software is buying this ad right now in a real-time bidding auction, but it is programmatic in the sense that it was bought through a buying platform that matched the advertiser to this podcast. And who is the advertiser? Grapeseed Media. When it comes to the world of programmatic, they're one of the companies that knows the most about the latest advances in all programmatic. Their whole mission is programmatic that lets you play with the giants. They open the door and walk you through the entire programmatic landscape. They're the closest thing possible to an in-house programmatic team without the expense and trouble of an actual in-house team. They're completely tech agnostic, which means they sit on all ad technologies, including emerging ones, like the platform they use to serve this host red ad. If you're curious to take your programmatic further, reach out to them at grapeseedmedia.com. And thank you, Grapeseed Media, for being a sponsor of this podcast. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, a show where we discuss trends, marketing, pop culture, and immersive movie-watching experiences, because at the end of the day, everything is an ad. I'm Luz Corona, Adweek Community Editor, here with my co-host, colleague, friend, Adweek's Europe brand editor, Rebecca Stewart. Bex, how are you and how was your break? I'm good. My break was great. It was full of lots of excess chocolate, wine, Bailey's. <laughs> so, I love it. It sounds <laughs> starting like a good the year on a healthier note, I think. But I don't think there's a better way to start this year of episodes than this one. Oh my gosh, it was so good, and I, I really like. I literally teared up. But let me tell what. <laughs> let me tell our <laughs> listeners what they're about to listen to. So, for today's episode, our first episode of the year, we have Denny Two, global CMO of IMAX, joining us to talk about how their well-oiled marketing machine promotes a movie, no, a cultural moment that was Oppenheimer. So, Denny has incredible insights, advice, and we hope you listeners leave this conversation as inspired as we were. 
But before we dive into this conversation, we want to cordially invite you, our listeners, to our first Adweek event of the year, Outlook 2024, on January 23rd in New York. Join Adweek, including me, for this important in-person gathering of the brightest minds in the business as we dive into the near future and focus on key issues that will matter most to our industry this year. And speaking of the future, the Super Bowl is rapidly approaching. Be sure to tune in to Adweek's ongoing coverage, which, yes, we started already, especially our Super Bowl tracker, which is updated daily on the brands participating. Yep. And I'd be remiss if we didn't shout out our colleague, Colin Daniels. He has new episodes of Young Influentials coming out on Tuesday, so be sure to stay tuned for that. And as we gear up for a new year, we'd love to hear your suggestions. Keep them coming about who and what you want to hear more of on Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. Send us an email at podcast at adweek.com or hit us up on LinkedIn as a few of you have. Now, without further ado, let's jump into our chat with Denny. And then stay tuned after that chat to hear this week's discussion with Warwick's Awards lead, John Bazell, who will be telling us all about the 2024 Warwick Awards, why they're so important to the industry, and how to win one. And welcome, Denny, to the show. Nice to have you here. Did you have a good holiday break? It's fantastic. Very busy, but amazing. For those that can't see us, uh, I'm wearing my uh, holiday IMAX <laughs> jumper, which uh, I've been now advised to wear all year. So I'm feeling great. Yeah, look very festive. <laughs> very. We love it. <laughs> um, well, Denny, we're really excited about uh, having you on. We were actually just talking on our editorial meeting that we were having you because there's there's a lot of excitement here. But um Specifically, we were wanted to have you on to talk about Oppenheimer. There's a big, lot of chatter still going on around this movie. I'm going to try so hard today to not make this about the movie itself, but about the marketing efforts and everything you guys are doing to really ride the wave. Um, so I wanted to start off with saying Oppenheimer a big deal for many reasons. But firstly, from a filmmaking perspective, um, Christopher Nolan's decision to shoot in the 65 millimeter black and white, it was a format that didn't previously exist for IMAX. So just with projects like this that undoubtedly have so many eyes on it and just kind of a big deal, how does the marketing team handle projects like this and campaigns? Well, I mean, I to kick it off, I mean, we were just talking about... Um, you know, sort of marketing masterclasses versus getting the best out of oneself. And I think if you're lucky enough to get a product, this is to deliver on that technological execution, which we'll talk about. But so much of our jobs these days is getting your head on straight. And I think when you're talking about Christopher Nolan, every single film is a technical marvel. It's pushing boundaries of what's been done. Launches the studio and every single partner. And I think for Marketeer, that's uniquely it's a unique opportunity. I think as, as brands, there are perceptions of our technology. And I think this is a really good example where we worked with a partner who saw how the technology, I think Hoyte van Hoytema, the uh, Oppenheimer cinematographer, um, you, you, you sort of expect IMAX to be a format for, for landscapes and spectacles, but he talks about it being an intimate format. The fact that the faces it's are incredible landscapes <clears throat> and there's complexity and depth to that sort of human emotion and connection and there was an intentional decision to shoot with that the film cameras in particular and i think the results were were mind-blowing um you, you mentioned black and white 
you know, that in itself was um, an extraordinary achievement, but um, it was uh, the juxtaposition of black and white and color, which was kind of the trick there. And that technology of in service of the story around, um, you know, Chris Nolan and Kodak did create black and white negatives for our film cameras. They didn't exist. So that meant our technical teams had to engineer devices and support to accommodate all of that, including extending accommodate the length of Oppenheimer and the size of the film reel, which you would have seen um, sort of trending everywhere. And then again, other movies that we worked uh, with uh, Mr. Nolan on, including Tenet, um, you know, we had to work with, with he and his team to ensure that the do things like run backwards. So I think one of the, the extraordinary challenges for marketeers working with um, filmmakers that push the, the limits is it just sort of pushes it, pushes all of us to be better. And I think it tapped in IMAX, a very unique spirit and culture that's been born out of 50 years. It is a company that is full of just brilliant gremlins. You know, they push, they, <laughs> they poke, they push back. There's a lot of passion. So for us to see that in, in spades. Yeah, it's such a huge, huge project um, f for any marketer, I guess. But one of the things you mentioned there is really interesting. Like there's so many partners involved in this from the studio um, to everyone else that's involved and all the production team and stuff like that. How do you foster like a spirit of collaboration with them and kind of work with them to market a project as big as this? You know, the film industry is incredibly special requires partnering with many people to get a singular vision done. And I think there is a challenge for marketeers, sort of tools, not rules is something we talk about. I think you can be um, hamstrung when you're working with so many people to try to get group consensus. Um, and so, you know, part one is I think you're, you're going to have a lot of control chaos and there are a lot of known unknowns and you can do the planning and there's a lot of pivoting. Um, you know, in, in our role in the entertainment industry, we're sort of a super connector. We work with filmmakers and studios, other distributors and exhibitors. We're not an exhibitor. Um, we are very unique in the industry and our sort of organized into verticals, exhibition, film, digital brands, so we can bring all those things together. But it doesn't play out that way. I mean, I think one of the, the learnings is that it's, it is controlled chaos. And so when you're bringing a or Avatar The Way of Water, you know, is another really great example of a, a sort of a big um, cross-company initiative. Coming to market with those um, extraordinary movies, um, we need to ensure that every partner uh, feels supported. And then on the other side, you know, what you do to balance that with fans um, uh, in over 87 countries around the world with very distinct uh, marketing challenges. Um, you know, so I think there's a lot of um, push and pull. And I the, the rule-breaking aspect, which I'm happy to talk about, um, not only from a film perspective, but what we had to do, is sometimes challenging with partners who um, need to get approvals and need to say that that just doesn't work or you need to do it. We have to be very selective about where we push back to deliver against um, what we need to do. I mentioned earlier, you know, engineering film, the film platter extenders. If you do some searches on YouTube, you'll see this. These are actual practical extenders. Old. Um, the additional film to run these in the 30, 70 millimeter locations that we had, but we also had to work with projectionists and ensure that they were available 24 hours a day to run planned screenings to help build that buzz. So I, I think there's a lot to lean in and break some rules. 
We love breaking rules here on this show. <laughs> We're big fans. Um, so just writing that um, last comment about partnerships, I would love to hear, you know, just kind of some lessons learned and how you because these are partners, right? So you want to have like these healthy relationships, but you also said you push back and you want to make sure the final product is as good as it can be. So can you build a little bit on that and just kind of clarify for our listeners who these specific partners are and how you maintain these relationships and how you know when to kind of push back for the overall vision? Yeah. And I, and I, I, I think when we talk about partners we and the state of our business and the health of our business and the health of our partners i don't feel like people talk about covid anymore and i don't think people talk about the existential crisis our business um fans uh, individuals that are listening in that they suffered during what was a moment in time for all of us and i don't think um society has really recovered emotionally spiritually physically and that has a last see in the in the in the theaters i will say however Mm -hmm. it's it it should be said that this has been an extraordinary year i think for the partners that i'll be discussing it's been extraordinary year in film there's been strikes the post-covid recap there's a passion and an unflinching focus for cinema i think we saw it in spades on this movie we um and imax had a record breaking on many fronts Uh, this year we passed a billion dollars in 2023 i'm sorry that was just the third time in our company's history so we great so just to pivot back to your question though on the the types of partners i mean we work with studio partners that are releasing in in this case it's universal who um is obviously extraordinary partner we worked with work on have worked with for 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 many um christopher nolan's team he has built an incredible team around him and that has been um sort of this joy to see that on every single level whether or not it's on a technical level above the line or below the line and then our production partners and then our exhibitor partners who are around the world who run our theaters so in the u.s you'd know the amc and regals and uh and the cinemarks of the world and for those listeners internationally um you know there are some big names there so i think there is a lot of um a lot of partnerships so just to get specific to um how that sort of works um i think the first lesson when you're trying to i think uh fan the flames of uh fandom is that when you see those embers you lean into partners so one really <clears throat> specific example is in partnership with our exhibitor partners in the U.S., um, Universal uh, and IMAX, we developed a promotional giveaway to encourage repeat viewings of Oppenheimer in our 70 millimeter locations. We saw a huge uptake uh, in ticket sales, just something that you don't really get to see very much. It's an extraordinary experience and a very different product. So we wanted to create something that was memorable um, and a keepsake. And that's just something that's not done as much anymore. Nostalgia. Sort of the big things. We created three different commemorative film strips featuring shots from the film, along with the title treatment, and gave one away per week at the first screening of each film for the first three weeks. And we worked with, again, you have to work with the studio for approvals. You work with the film, with the exhibitors who are doing that. And we knew that these would go incredibly well. And from our social listening, um, we knew that super fans they were planned to see screenings uh, to buy tickets based on the likely availability of these film strips really cool thing to see in market and today those film strips are even being listed on ebay for as much as 500 bucks um which is kind of bonkers um as a show that you went to that um and to prove that you did sort of like that concert tea and we've leveraged things um to ensure that we are pushing everything we have a a great fan merch shop that did a drop and we sold a thousand orders in 30 minutes just sort of pushing these things and getting that excitement going so i think there's a real trend in nostalgia 
um, at least where you have these physical mementos associated with content you love. But at the core, you have to get partners on board. So I think, you know, getting that um, across the line, everything from delivery to approvals, soup to nuts, it's, it's a really big thing. Mm-hmm. And lots of lessons for other marketers listening here, particularly around like leaning into fandom collaboration. But Denny, I'm keen on any other lessons you learned that IMAX will take into next year to make sure it's another bumper year. I mean, lessons to learn and to bumper year. I mean, I think part of it is that, again, you, you, there are no lessons. I think the lessons that we need to make sure that we are being very true to fans and that we are tapping into cultural moments. I think the authenticity you saw on Oppenheimer is a really big lesson. You can't create cultural moments. All you can do is surf them. Mm. And my job as a CMO is to set the team up in a mindset to get to yes. I I think, you know, when you're working with a lot of partners, there's a lot of reasons why you can't do things. um, And you'll hear it a lot. Uh, So I moment for us um, when we're talking about big releases and 2024 is an incredible year 2025 is another incredible year so I think you know there's lessons where we are going to be focused on our fans and uh, you know there there's there's a lot to be learned there yeah for sure ready to unlock the full potential of your media spend whether you're looking to launch a new product build your brand or help increase sales this quarter Walmart Connect helps brands make an impact with precise targeting powerful analytics, and the reach of America's number one retailer. Walmart Connect offers solutions for advertisers of all sizes on and off Walmart's digital properties and in their stores. From cost-effective sponsored search and self-serve display ads on Walmart's site and apps to connected TV and off-site media across web and social to in-store activations and live events, Walmart Connect can help you deliver the right content to the right Walmart customer at the right step of their shopping journey. And Walmart Connect's closed-loop measurement means they can track the full impact of your campaign on sales, not just on Walmart's site and app, but also in-store. For some campaigns, they can even provide rest-of-market data that tracks the impact on sales at other retailers. Visit walmartconnect.com today to find out how you can start connecting with Walmart's 139 million weekly online and in-store customers. Walmart Connect. More than media. Meaningful connections. Well, you mentioned cultural moment and um, we have to bring up, you know, the whole Barbenheimer. (laughs) Am I saying it right? I haven't like actually, but Barbenheimer moment, you know, um, that kind of really took off on its own. Uh, As you said, you can't really create these cultural moments. But um, can you tell us a little bit about the conversations and chatter within IMAX walls, like specifically for your team when Barbenheimer first started and kind of really took off? Yeah, I mean... I, you know, there's always that moment where you can tell and you can feel it sort of like a, a, a pre-earthquake. Uh, you know, I think Barbenheimer <clears throat> is it a really good example of um, a collision of a, a collision of, of things. And, you know, for us, I talked about the partnerships that we, um, we are a collision brand. You know, it's sort of like you think of peanut butter and jelly coming together and it's a net new thing. I don't think it's peanut butter and jelly. It's just an extraordinary thing. And I think when Barbenheimer first started, I think there was a discussion of sort of tapping into that authenticity discussed. There was huge passion for both the franchises, but that connection of people mixing their days, would you watch Barbie first or Oppenheimer first? And it just threw everybody from an analog way of thinking about one movie versus um, and just a, a love of film. And I think for us internally, we need to ensure that our campaign was in service of that authenticity. 
you know, I think there was a large bit of chatter um, and we were able to track fans, the memes, the content, the passion. The and it was this incredible cauldron of fan passion. Um, but, um, you know, we knew in the middle of that there was still needed. There was a job that needed to be done. So you have two big movies launching on the same weekend. So as much as it's exciting, it's also a little terrible. So we were laser focused, mm -hmm. ensuring that we needed to deliver on Oppenheimer. And of course, we did a, a Barbie release separately. And, and we can talk about that. But, you know, you had um, you, you had the fact that the team felt even more focused. We needed to ensure that people knew that this was shot with. And um, but we also had a belief that there was plenty of space in the multiplex for two great films to achieve great things. That is amazing. When you felt the energy, if you were in uh, movie theaters around the world, um, you would have you would have certainly seen that. We had, um, and I think I mentioned this earlier, in some of our film locations, we were running 24 hours a day. We had individuals who were flying internationally for, for 70 millimeter films. Our location at the BFI and the Waterloo Roundabout was running showings, you know, at three o'clock in the morning. So the energy at, a Barben, uh, at an Oppenheimer show at three o'clock in the morning in London was just electric because you could imagine who else you'd see at something like that is a reflection of the passion you have for film. And I think Barbenheimer really stoked that. Um, and and we were really we were really excited to say it. And as I said, as an aside, I mentioned that we had also done a Barbie release, and that was incredible. We, uh, Greta is an incredible filmmaker, and uh, we did end up doing a release with them with a special IMAX edition for before seen footage um, later on in the year. So it's just like, how do we work with partners to bring something net new to it um, so that uh, it would be even more um, memorable. Yeah, I mean, you can't really plan for something like Barbenheimer because it just took on a life of its own um, online, like on TikTok and Twitter and stuff like that. It was a real moment. And I wonder if you have any advice for other brands on how to leverage these cultural moments and almost like plan for things that you can't plan for, I guess. I mean, you know, I, I, I think I would be questioning my lesson. The advice I'd have in cultural moments is question the no's and what people are saying they don't want it. They don't. Um, we had a, an, an example where we um, saw a, uh, a trending moment. Um, uh, an individual on Twitter had shared a screenshot um, of an AMC uh, seat map walk when the tickets had just gone on sale. And we saw a single seat purchased in the front row. So all the other seats were available and some individual purchased a single seat in the front row <laughs> and uh, when plenty of other seats were available. And we sort of thought, I wonder. What is in the mindset of this person? Who are they? Why do they want to be in the front row? They had every single seat. Um, and there were a lot of voices that said, just leave it be. Don't, you know, this is not an interesting idea. You know, it's you're, you're sniffing to work with AMC and figure out X, Y, Z. And, you know, so question the no. And we got to a yes. Um, we ended up um, that tweet itself earned, I think, 26 million impressions. And we thought a lot about this individual. And we... Um, uh, we had a little surprise for them on opening day and we captured it on film. And if you want to check that out, you can see that on social. And it was a, a very passionate um, IMAX fan who always buys that seat. And uh, we rewarded them with a very special limited show of our IMAX film cameras. And uh, it was, but I think early on in that process, it was like, this is not a thing. So, you know, I think, yeah. you know, question the nose and don't surround yourself with too many voices because it's going to drown out group are um, incredibly, um, uh, incredibly difficult. We had, um, you know, a, a, um, a, a, a TikTok piece that, um, that showed that the film reel for Oppenheimer was 11. 
Um, and uh, during uh, some of the capture, someone had noticed that there was a Palm Pilot in the background, and they thought, you know, is IMAX running off the Palm Pilot, which, you know, is, is you know, we don't run off the Palm Pilot. <laughs> <laughs> Another example of something that you might want to go, that's a little bit scary to be having a Palm Pilot running in the background. But we had to, the teams here had to engineer many things to make it happen. And I think people appreciated that authenticity. The sound, the ASMR-ness of a rolling is just the most lyrical, beautiful thing that you've ever seen. And that's one of the most uh, replayed um, uh, pieces uh, on our socials. So again, a lot of things would be like, you know, if someone pitched me running, platter reel at the bfi as a marketing thing you just be like wait what so question in the nose yeah. um early on i would say yeah that's su- that's such good advice i feel like that's just good life advice anyway denny but yeah yeah great advice thank you <laughs> i know i'm like tearing up a little bit just the way you were talking about film was so beautiful and i think that's probably why your the work you guys do is so incredible um now the team is gearing up for a second win that the movie is undoubtedly going to receive as we rapidly approach the 2024 oscars so what are the big plans and what happens if the movie wins i mean i I guess there'll be a lot of popping of popcorn and champagne, I guess. You know, there'll be some <laughs> celebrations of what will what will happen if the movie mid. I mean, you know, I, I would say there's just I said it's an extraordinary for film. And um and Oppenheimer, you know, uh is a, just an extraordinary example of that. Um but we I think we have to remember, I mean, we had mentioned earlier some people watch some of this stuff at home on a ultra HD disc or in a standard movie theater, our experience is really different. So for us, it's to be able to bring some of that back to fans, um, whether or not it's in our laser format or in the rarefied air that is our um, film locations. You know, at least in my mind, if you haven't experienced Oppenheimer and IMAX, you really haven't seen it in the right way. It's just a different product. It's the gold standard as Mr. Nolan refers to it as. So for us, all along the way in January, we, we are bringing Oppenheimer back to IMAX and IMAX 70 millimeter films uh, later on this month. Um, we're going to have a wider release following the release of the um, Academy Award nominations. For us, it is about putting that product and that experience back in the market at the right time and take some of that buzz and have people watch the film in, in, in a new way. And there will be individuals who haven't seen it um, on the big screen and in IMAX. And I would be interested to see how people react to that. For us, we see that a lot. We see individuals who are watching things on laser or in 3D IMAX or in 70 millimeter IMAX and experience and people want to trial that. Um, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's an extraordinary thing. So I, I think for us, um, if it wins, we'll all be incredibly thrilled for our partners. Um, but, but it'll be a moment for us to recreate that experience for fans that um, and uh, and to get those cinephiles to watch it again. And of course, I think I mentioned it earlier, to experience it with other super fans of film, which is really something going back to post-COVID. Um, there's something that's missing from us as people, as creative spirits, when you love something and you're able to do that in a space that rewards it communally, um, it's just the mm-hmm. best thing. So if it wins, we'll be um, just beyond. Um, but I think the big reward is that we'll bring it back for fans. 
Yeah. Yeah, Liz and I all need to get some tickets to that. That sounds sounds really good. And I, I just had one last question, Denny, just kind of building on what you said about experience and post-COVID and, you know, people wanting to return to the cinema and experience something together. Um, in 2023, you had quite a diverse content portfolio at IMAX. And I was reading earlier that one of the kind of biggest grossing live events was the reprise of um, Stop Making Sense by Talking Heads, that kind of iconic concert. Yeah. I'm just curious, like, can we expect to see more of these kind of live shows and things like that in 2024 because that seems to be the very essence of what you're talking about. I think you can expect us to be focusing on unique differentiated experiences for fans that they can find nowhere else. You know you've seen a lot of you know we did the Taylor Swift and Beyonce concerts and they were incredible um, but um, Stop Making Sense was just a beyond the leaf queen um concert that is being remastered uh both in picture and in imax immersive sound that's coming out um later on in january and that's just um the tickets they've been flying and i think there's a desire to connect to something personal and unique and to um, experience that in a way that you've never been able to experience that before so you're certainly going to see that from us we are uh, focused film anime has done incredibly well for us we did boy and the heron earlier on this year um you'll see more differentiated product from us um and 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 again we're a we're a company that operates in in 87 countries uh, around the world you have very distinct tastes around the world you have stories that travel um you see the um the uh the uh interest and passion for uh foreign language films and we certainly you know have a a a, a great mix of uh, later on this year, um, and it, you know we're we're seeing in spades. And your your point on, on on COVID is an important one. Our market share since COVID is is up forty percent. So it tells us that you know doing the place, um, the fans and the audiences will reward you. And I think we we see that with the partners that come to us that want to shoot in our format and finish in our format, um, and um, you know put more IMAXs around the world. So yeah, you're going to see a lot more. Um, and you're going to see things that are more surprising, um, because I think if we're a one dimension brand, uh, we, we just don't have a future. And you're going to see more sort of facets of the diamond that is IMAX. And um, we've got a lot in store. So keep your eyes peeled and we'll make sure you get those tickets to uh, Oppenheimer when it's back out. <laughs> um yeah because i mean i'm at it's such an experience i don't have to tell you guys you know but it um we were saying for our listeners before we we started recording that al our senior producer and i we were like each watching the movie and and from our own homes and we were just saying like as we were watching it like man now it makes sense like gotta watch this in imax next time it's just a whole different experience you could just tell the visuals um would be so different there so yes uh i'm excited we're excited and this was so great thank you so much denny it's it was so great to chat with you i'll say one of my um one of my uh my uh obsessive passions you you'd home or watching things on planes you know when you had said that you'd watch it at home you know my passion and desire is to get you into a theater and get you to watch it um, but we have a line in the office that says friends friends don't let friends watch dunkirk on an airplane it's just not a, it's not an experience plain aisle and you see somebody watching a movie like dunkirk and you just want to kind of politely smack them and go here let me just set you up with a, a movie theater so no i think that, that people want to encourage people to experience things the right way so we'll make sure that you get it and it was a great Thanks for having me on. It was a great chat. Thank you so much. Thank you, Denny. 
and we're back again with the brilliant John Bizzle, Awards Lead at Warwick. How are you, John? I'm really good, Bex. Thanks for having me back. You're welcome. You're always welcome on our podcast. And the past few weeks, we've been talking about the Warwick Awards, of course, which are all about effectiveness. But let's talk about some of the winners. Um, You know, we've talked about who's judging this year and what the judges will be looking to see. But what about some of the standout winners from years gone by? What If you expect your media investment to deliver clear, measurable results, Walmart Connect can help you get there with powerful analytics and the reach of America's number one retailer. Their closed-loop measurement uses Walmart's proprietary customer purchase data to track the impact of your campaigns on sales, not just on Walmart's site and app, but also in-store. For some campaigns, they can even provide rest-of-market data that tracks the impact on sales at other retailers. Visit walmartconnect.com today and see how they can help make your media spend meaningful. Walmart Connect. More than media, meaningful connections been some of your kind of highlights and favorites that that might be kind of useful um north stars for our listeners looking to enter this year sure 2023 actually was a brilliant year for the walk awards so we have 50 winners across all the categories too many to talk about here but there are definitely a couple of perhaps our grand prix that i always think are a really good example of what the awards are about and i love that term you've just used north stars um and and hopefully these will sort of guide people to the kind of work we're looking for One of my favourite campaigns is by DDB Madra in India, and it's for Indeed, which is a recruitment platform uh, for whom they created a series of ads that featured, um, they featured people who had made bad hires, let's say, uh, (laughs) by recruiting friends uh, and family. And then they end up living to regret hiring someone that can't drive a forklift, for example. Um, It's just a really funny approach to a business-to-business communication. Um, And what it does is it just connects with the audience and and it tackled the social issue of nepotistic hiring, but it also presented a great solution to people. And most importantly, it got brilliant results for the business. That's one great example. Another one which I love is the gut campaign in LA for DoorDash. They called it the self-love bouquet. So you order 11 roses plus one rose-shaped vibrator. This was marketed to single people (laughs) around Valentine's Day (laughs) with the Miley Cyrus song, I Can Buy Myself Flowers. I love it. This one, our path to purchase Grand Prix. It was absolutely genius. So, so clever. And again, great results for the company and something that the judges just weren't expecting to see. Gut were one of our big winners last year. So they won that Grand Prix and they also did a great project for Mercado Libre in Argentina. I don't know if you've seen this, but it's so clever. So they, Mercado Libre is like a, um, an online retailer and they wanted to tap more into the fashion space where they weren't getting a lot of, of, of business. And so they, but they, what they do have is loads of purchase data. And so they created this algorithm where they would pull the purchase data for clothing like right down to the, a street and then the location pin on like a Google Maps would be dressed in the clothes. So when someone looked at the map, the location pin is dressed in the clothing of that very neighborhood. I mean, so clever. That one so hour use of data yeah. campaign, wow. it's, it's fantastic. Um, what else did I love? Oh, like the Edelman campaign for eBay, uh, the Wear Em Out store. Have you seen this one? So um, it was to target like a sneakerhead stockpiling sneakers and people that actually just want to wear them cannot get them. So they created this 
customer experience and it won our customer experience Grand Prix where you had to go to this pop-up store if you bought your sneakers and then you wore them across a series of surfaces, gravel, grass, like basically so that you could never resell these sneakers. You got them for a discounted rate. So, so clever. So those are some of my absolute favorites. Yeah, no, I was just going to say we absolutely love Got Here at Adweek. They were our global agency of the year last year. Um, so yeah, yeah rightly fans. so. I think doing some great work. Yeah, yeah, they killed it this year. And that sneakerhead campaign, Dude. I'm going to check it out for my <laughs> sneakerhead husband. So thank you so much for that. <laughs> um, and then, John, why do you think the judges love these campaigns? I mean, B2B mm-hmm. has had an explosive year. You know, you mentioned that first one. Um, but why do you think that the judges love them specifically? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of mentioned it there already i think awards talk a lot about innovation we're looking for innovative work the criteria is all like show us your innovative campaigns and i think sometimes this either scares people off or it gives them completely the wrong idea about what we're looking for innovation doesn't have to equal technology it can just be innovating in the way that you're communicating about a sector to a particular customer base. And some of those examples really show that upright. So doing your B2B recruitment campaign, but doing it in a really humorous way is innovative for that sector. And when a group of judges are looking at 65 B2B campaigns and then one makes them laugh out loud, it's already standing way ahead of the competition. I'm not saying that everything has to be really funny, but what you have to think about is what is it that this campaign has that our competition is not going to have? And how can we really make sure that we communicate that to the judges? The eBay campaign, the sneakerheads campaign might lose. So, you know, eBay are saying people people who resell sneakers to sneakerheads do it through eBay, yet we are going to create a space where we're providing a purchase route for people that can't pay those astronomical prices to get the sneakers that they want and wear them in, out in a fun way. So they're sort of, you know, they're playing with what, they're, what the judges expect to see from their category and that stands out and makes them a winner. 100%. And um, if our listeners want to be one of the winners next year, when is the final deadline to apply? Or um... Yeah, we're coming right up to it, Beck. So our final deadline is the 6th of February. That still hopefully gives you time. Download the entry pack, get, get, get the stakeholders you need invested and uh, get those entries into us. Our judges want to see them. And you could be the one I'm talking about <laughs> on this podcast next year. Yes. <laughs> You could be a winner, so don't leave it to the last minute. Please get your entries in. Thank you so much, John, and thank you, Liz. And thank you, listeners. Thanks for having me. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. This podcast was produced by me, Al Manorino, executive produced by Chris Ahrens and John Heil, and edited by Lane McGivney at Boutwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcast. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.